And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Judges chapter 6. We'll be in Judges chapter 6 this morning. And my sermon is titled, Seeing 2020. 2020, seeing 2020 in the year 2020, right? Pretty, pretty nice right there, huh? This morning is our last Sunday of 2019. You know that already. But I don't know if you realize, but this is the last Sunday of the 20-teens, right? This is the last Sunday of the 20-teens decade. It's the last Sunday of the decade before we uh, go into the, uh, what do you guys call it, the roaring 20s, right? The 2020s, hard, again, uh, it's hard to believe is there. But it seems like yesterday that we, we, just, we just celebrated the turn of the century, if you remember the Y2K issue, right? The Y2K, the planes in midair were going to crash and the bank accounts were going to be wiped out and, and your, your health records would be just vanished because you never were born because all the computer systems would turn back to what? The year 1900. And they wouldn't know what to do and the whole, whole world would be in chaos come 1999 when the clock strikes midnight to January 1st, the year 2000. And we got there. I remember uh, 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 going out and buying fireworks with Lori and, and celebrating and just watching the clock. What's going to happen? You know, I remember having this old, old uh, floppy disk. And, you know, not the small floppy disk, but the large floppy disk computer. And I remember, you know, going there on January 1st and turning that sucker on. And I'm like, if this sucker survived the year 2000, we're fine. And nothing happened, Right. I think someone, some, some uh, 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 a software company made a lot of money off Y2K, but nothing happened in 2000. Absolutely nothing other than one thing, or two things. One, we were all a year older, or we're going to be a year older, and two, it turned from 1999 to 2000. Nothing else really changed other than those two things. What changes in a new year or a new decade is, is the number, but that's it. That's absolutely it. Nothing else will change in our lives unless we are willing, I'm going to give you a foul word right now, change. Nothing's going to change in the new year unless we are willing to change. Just because the calendar changes does not mean automatically a wand is waved and all our issues goodbye and a 2020 pops up and we get a whole new outlook with a whole new bank account, with a whole new health, and it resets 2020. It doesn't do that. Nothing changes unless we are willing to change. A new year does not mean that we ignore where we are at currently. A new year does not mean we ignore what happened in 2019. A new year doesn't give us a, a reset button in our life. See, we can make goals, we can make uh, New Year's resolutions, we can uh, uh, plan for great things in the new year. However, I'm sorry to bust your bubble, but if change does not occur from what you're doing in 2019 to 2020, nothing's going to change, and all those resolutions will be done and over with come January 2nd, 2020, right? And it will, unless we are willing to what, church? Change. Unless we are willing to change. What we lived and what we have done in 2019 will carry over to 2020 unless we are willing to change. A few months back, as I was just thinking about 2020 and, and, and what God has in store for my personal life, my family, and my church, and I was praying about it, God given me a word, and that word is elevates. Someone say elevates. Elevate. It's a word for you. It's a word for our church. It's a word for your family. Elevates. And elevate means two things. Elevate means to raise or lift something up to a higher position 
or it all, and also it means to raise to more important or impressive level. That's what elevate means. And over the last two months, I spoke on the topic of faith, and we're going to continue looking at that topic moving forward in the new year. But I hope that you've been challenged, but I also hope that your faith has been elevated. It's no coincidence that we've been talking about faith in the last two months to get ready for the year 2020. But let me tell you this, it's just not our faith that, we, that God wants to elevate. God wants to elevate you in many aspects and areas of your life. He wants to make you uh, uh, go to the next level. But it's not only he's allowing you to come to the next level, we also need to elevate God in our lives. We need to make God, I heard it this week, we need to make God the center of our life. So many times we say, I'm gonna put God in front of me. But in reality, what it is is the center because what's in the center of our lives is what life rotates around. And if God's not in the center of our lives, he's in the first or he's in the back somewhere, we lose him. We don't see him. We can't see him. But if he's in the center and everything that we do, then our life rotates around him him amen 2020 what does 2020 mean 2020 means if i say you have 2020 that means you have perfect eyesight means you have a perfect vision right our vision might not be perfect but if we elevate our faith we can have 2020 and the year 2020 amen our goal should be as christians to be christ-like so one perfect person that ever walked his face on this planet, and that is Christ. And our daily life should be Christ-like, amen? That's how we, re, how, how we achieve 2020 and 2020. This morning, we're going to be looking uh, over the next few weeks, actually the next uh, few months probably, of what Elevate looks like and how to apply that in our lives. But over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about a gentleman that we see in Judges, chapter, starting with chapter 6. And this man, God elevated him every aspect of his life, and God did some amazing things. And this man, his name is Gideon. But before we talk about Gideon, which we'll look at him next week, I want to look at the precursor of his life. I want to look at where he's coming from, what situation he's coming from, because it's not a nice situation. It's a, it's a very desperate situation. And we'll be looking at, at the Israelites and their story in the backdrop. But we can look forward to the year 2020. But first, we must get clarity of where we are currently at before we get clarity of what 2020 looks like. We must first address our current situation and how we ended up where we are at currently. Amen. Where we are at in life, not only as a church, but as individuals. Because if we do not address where we are currently at, when 2020 comes January 1st, 1201 a.m., Nothing is going to be different because there was no change involved between 2019 to 2020. Amen? So let's follow uh, the, uh, the Israelites' trend that we see uh, uh, starting actually in the beginning of Judges, but we'll be in Judges chapter 6, verse 1. And it says, the Israelites, I want to see, show you four things from the Israelites. The Israelites did evil. It says in Judges 6, verse 1, it says, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over the Midianites for seven years. The first thing I want us to see this morning is Israelites' complacency. Complacency. The Israelites, we know they had a cycle. What was their cycle? They would worship God. They would, would do what was right in his eyes. They would bless nation. And then what would happen? Then they would be complacent in the relationship. They would turn around and start sinning. And then they'd be handed over to the enemy's hands. And then they would cry out to God. 
And God will send somebody over to, to, to heal their land, to, to defeat their enemy. And then they were good. And then they did a cycle all over again. It's the cycle of the Israelites. It's a cycle of our life. We see it throughout the Bible, but we see it especially in the book of Judges. If you go back to first uh, between chapter one and chapter uh, uh, six, we see a lot of the words, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to such and such. And then this, and then, then they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord healed the land. And then the next chapter, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it's a cycle over and over again. At one point, they were at a good point. Judges 5, verse 31, the very end of it, before our verse in chapter 6, says, Then there was peace in the land for 40 years. 40 years they had peace. 40 years they had no problems with any other enemies. 40 years they were good, but they ended up being complacent. In their prosperity and their complacency, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. 40 years, 40, the number 40. What does 40 symbolize? 40 represents the time it takes a new generation to arise. 40 years, life cycle, right, when you think about it. 40 years, that ne the next generation came. And when you think about 40 years, who do you think about for 40 years? The children of Israel wandering in the desert, right? They, 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 they left Egypt. 40 years they wondered. Why? Because they disobeyed God, and God was not going to allow that, that generation that left Egypt to enter the promised land. So 40 years that generation passed, and the new generation came. 40 years we see in Judges, 40 years they had peace in the land, and then they started sinning. What does that mean? It means that the new generation that came had the same sin of complacency as the previous generation. They, 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 they did the, 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 the sins of their ancestors over and over and over again. Because of their sin, because of their complacency, God handed them over to now the Midianites, their enemies. A new generation does not stop the sins of the prior generation. A new year doesn't stop the sins of prior year. What stops the sins is change. What stops us doing the same thing is change in our life. When we change our life, then we can go into a new year expecting new results, but the definition of insanity is doing the same thing but expecting different results and not getting those results because we're doing the same thing. We can't expect to be different in 2020 unless we are willing to do something different. Think about a new day. God's grace, his mercy is extended to us on daily, uh, every single day. But that doesn't mean that we continue living today as we lived yesterday. We can't. We can't elevate our faith. We can't elevate our lives. We can't elevate any particular area of our life if we're not willing to change the way we will be today from what we were yesterday or what we will be in 2020 from what we were in 2019 it's a new year but the sin of complacency sticks around from yesterday to today if we're not willing to make a difference if we're not willing to change anything the calendar doesn't change the calendar just because it changes doesn't mean anything for us if we can learn anything from the israelites is this it's from the sin of complacency that they lived Every generation had to be delivered from their enemies. And you think, how? Why? Why would a loving God do such a thing? 
Why would a loving God hand them over into the bondage uh, 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 through the Midianites? Why would he do such a thing? You know why he would do such a thing? Because he was trying to get their attention. He was trying to wake them up. He was trying to shake them up. He was trying to say, hey, listen, you got to change the way you're doing things because you're going to keep getting the same results. Stop it. He was trying to get their attention. It was also God's example of grace and mercy in his life. It would wake them up to the point that they finally get to the point of, of, of crying to God. They got to the point finally where they were fed up and they had to do something different, which was go back to God. It was to wake them up. See, what would have been worse is God not doing anything. Allow them to continue living in their sin. Allow them to continue on the path that they were in. Allowing them to be taken by the Midianites and really just having their way and just destroying the nation of Israel. You know, I was a member of my coach telling me as in, in high school, when I stop yelling at you, there's an issue because I don't care no more about you. I don't want to get your attention no more. I don't want, I don't want to wake you up. I, 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 at that point, I, I don't care what happens to you in your life, but I'm going to keep pushing you. I'm going to keep prodding you because I love you. I'm going to keep trying to get your attention, and it might be hard, but I'm going to keep doing it until I have your attention. You see, we can argue the point that it wasn't their fault, that it was God's fault for handing them over to the Midianites, but let's be real. If they continued in prayer, if they continued worshiping, if they continued doing the things they knew they were supposed to be doing, they would have never found themselves in an area of complacency. They would never have found themselves in an area of sin, and they would have never found themselves in this particular predicament because God, at that point, I don't think would have allowed it to happen, but he allowed it because they chose to get away from the umbrella of protection. They chose to do another life and live another life their own way, and God allowed their enemies to come and conquer them. It was their complacency that led them into the hands of the Midianites. The second thing I want us to see, it says in verse one again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Seven is the, is, is the number of completion in the Bible, right? God made uh, uh, the heavens and earth in seven days, seven, okay? Finally, completion. Finally, uh, uh, they had in seven years uh, in the hands of the Midianites. Verse two says, the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted the crops, uh, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys, these enemy, uh, the enemy hordes coming with the livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare, so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. The second thing I want you to see about the Israelites was their oppression. It was their oppression. This was a new generation. It was a new opposition. Guess what? It was oppression again. When you think about what they've gone through in the book of Judges, just to name a few of them, Israel's opposition was, was by uh, um, Aram, Nahiram, Moab, Canaan, and now the Midianites. Think about that. Just in the book of Judges. Just in the book of Judges. They suffered oppression before, but now it's a different oppressor. The, 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 the Midianites. And the, oppress, the, the oppression made them suffer in three areas of their life. 
in that same three areas, we suffer as well when we allow our enemy, sin, to come in our lives as well. The, the first one is they suffered invasion. They suffered invasion. The Midianites did not live in Israel. They came and they invaded Israel. When, they, when did they come invading Israel? When they needed to plant the crops to help them out to grow? No. They invaded Israel when it was time to harvest the crops. They invaded Israel when it was time to take the plunder. They invaded Israel when all the work was done to take from the Israelites. All the sowing of the seed, all the planting, all the pruning, all the watering, and they would come in and invade the land, and they would take from the Israelites. And what their hard work, all their, all their things that they'd done was profitless. All their produce, all their livestock was taken by the invasion of the Midianites. And we see in a very similar fashion, sin does the same in our lives as well. It invades our lives. Sin comes in and invades our lives and it robs us. It robs, robs us of our hope. It robs us of our, of our joy. It robs us of our relationships. It robs us of our finances. It robs us of our health. It robs us in so many different areas. Think about what Jesus says in John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes only only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief comes in and invades your life to do three things, steal, kill, and destroy. We suffer as the enemy invades our life, as the enemy comes in and oppresses us. How do we, come, how do we stop from doing that? We never become complacent in your life and your relationship with God. You keep pushing towards him. You keep going after him, regardless of what's happening in and around you. You keep serving him. You keep moving to, towards him. Let me, let, me, let me tell you this. Do you ever get complacent with locking your door at night? I don't. I make sure that door is locked every single night. Do you get complacent with locking your car in the parking lots? I don't. In fact, I'm sometimes paranoid about it, and I'll make sure I have a little app on my phone. I'll go in and make sure my car is locked, even though if I don't remember if I locked it or not, I'll double-check to make sure it's locked. Why? Because the time that we become complacent, the time that we say, oh, if I lock my front door, I'll lock it. If I don't, I don't. I'm fine. That's the time we're saying we want somebody to come in and invade our home. When you go out in the shopping centers and you park your car or even at your house and you park your car at your house in your driveway, the time that you say, ah, I leave my car unlocked, I do. If I don't, I don't. You're, in, you're becoming complacent and what you're allowing is somebody to come in and invade your personal space, invade your privacy of your home. So if you wouldn't allow it to happen to your car or to your house, why do we allow it to happen to the soul of our soul, of our being, of the church, which is the body of Christ, which is you and I? Why do we allow us to be complacent in that and allow things into our life that invades our life, that takes from our life, that steals our joy and our peace and our hope, invades us to kill, steal, and destroy? If you wouldn't do it with your house or your car, why would you do it with the temple of God? Amen? But we do. We become complacent. We become complacent. And a day turns into a week, and a week turns into a month, and a month turns into a year. And we're like, we haven't read our Bibles. We haven't prayed. We haven't spoke to God. We haven't worshiped because we can become complacent of not doing the things that we know we are supposed to be doing. Amen? When we do, we allow the enemy a foothold. 
second thing we do is with the, uh, the second thing they suffered was they suffered imprisonment. Israel was imprisoned in their own land. Think about that. Imprisoned in their own home. The, uh, the, the oppression from the Midianites caused Israel to lose its fights. And where did they go? They lost their fight and they became imprisoned and they went running to the, what, what, the mountains, the caves, the strongholds. But the Midianites came and had their way in the land. They took whatever they wanted and they imprisoned the Israelites in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Their sin made them weak. It caused them to lose their fights. And sin does the same thing to us. It imprisons us. It causes us to hide. It causes us to have shame. It causes us to start thinking stupid thoughts. It causes us to think that no one cares about me or no one loves me because no one's called me or contacted me. And we start thinking about these things in our heads. And it, it, what it does, it causes us to be a, a prisoner of our own thoughts, a prisoner of our own bodies. Sin does that. And it causes us to run instead of run to where we need to run. It causes us to run and flee away from the enemy instead of standing and fighting. Sin binds us. Look at uh, Hebrews 5, uh, 12, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily traps us up. Or your, your translation says entangles us. Entanglement is an imprisonment. The sin that so, entangle, uh, so easily entangles us, the sin that trips us up, it, 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 it causes us to be imprisoned. Same thing that happened to the Israelites. Give no opportunity to the devil. And thirdly, we see they suffered impoverishment. They suffered impoverishment. Verse 6 tells us that Israel was reduced to what? Starvation. They were in poverty. They were reduced to starvation because the sin not only invaded them, the sin not only in, in imprisoned them, but now the sin is starving them. See, when sin comes into our life and it invades our life, it causes us in prison. And what it does is it sucks the living life out of us. It's, it, it, it does. I was talking to someone this week and I was recounting about, about different ministers that just I was reading one that was a Hillsong singer who was even questioning the thought of God. I think, where, did, where, where did this come in at? Where did you allow thoughts to come into your, your mind and take captive your thoughts? Or you, I, saw, I saw a pastor who, who uh, went on a divorce and then he was, yeah, I forgot who, uh, what his name is, but he, went on, he, he got divorced. Uh, uh, then he turned around and he's even questioning God's existence. And this was a minister that, that uh, was over a mega church. Where did that go wrong? Where did that allow Satan to come in to kill, steal, and destroy? The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and he does it by any means necessary. Whatever it is, he does. And it all stemmed from the sin of the Israelites. And just like in our life, if, if, if allowed, sin invades, it imprisons, it impoverishes our life. It's all done by giving Satan just a little bit of your life. The Bible tells us, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.27, I love this amplified version of it. It says, leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. A foothold, you know what a foothold is? It's putting your foot in the door. You can't shut the door if there's someone's foot in there. And we allow the Satan just having a little foothold in our life. It leaves a little crack open. 
and allows him to do work in our life. Shut the door. Don't leave the crack open. Give him no opportunity. The third thing I want us to see, in verse, going back to verse six, the ending of that said, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. What did they do? They cried out to the Lord for help. Let me, let me, let me show you this. The third thing I want us to see is the Israelites renewed prayer. The Israelites renewed prayer. It took Israel suffering before they finally cried out to God. They didn't suffer for a day. They didn't suffer for a week. They suffered for seven years. Finally, they said, I had enough. I need to go back to God. Seven years they suffered. Seven years of humiliation. Seven years of fruitless labor. Think about every year they would come in and steal the crops. Seven years of that. Seven years of poverty. Seven years of running from the enemy. Seven years of domination from their oppressor and their opposition. Seven years before they renewed their prayer. Let me tell you this. I believe that they never forgot where they needed to be at. They just chose not to change. They chose not to change. They knew where God was. They chose not to go to him. They chose to keep living in the life and, and, and hoping that maybe one day a new season would come or maybe a new year. Who knows what they had back then. Maybe, maybe a new holiday would come or a new festival would come and that would bring them hope. But nothing changed. They lived the same life day in and day out. Nothing brought them. Maybe they thought that new luck was going to come or whatever it may be. Nothing changed. The calendar changed. The time changed. Year after year for seven years, no change. And therefore, there was no change in their situation. Let me tell you this. You can write this down. Prayer was their last resort and not their first resource. Prayer was their last resort and not their first resource. So many times we go after another resource instead of going after the resource, amen, which is God. We don't go to God in prayer. That's our last resort, not our first resource. If it was the first resource, it would have done two things. Number one, they would have never actually been taken over by the Midianites because they would have been following God's ways and they would never displease God, right? Because they would have been in touch with them. The second one is if they were praying, it wouldn't have taken them seven years to renew their prayer. Seven years to renew their relationship with God. The word renew means to reestablish. They reestablished their relationship with God. They reestablished prayer once again, but it took seven years, seven long years of suffering before they finally established their relationship with God. Same goes for us as well. When prayer is our last resort, we end up suffering a lot longer than needed. We've been there. I've done it. I'm guilty of it. Let me tell you this. Let's not put our hope and trust in a calendar year from 2019 to 2020 because nothing's going to change. Let's not put our hope in the calendar. Let's put our hope in God who controls that calendar. Amen. That's where it needs to come. We need to, need to start letting prayer be our first resource and not our last resorts. We need to start reestablishing our relationship with God through prayer or get that prayer back going again. 
this morning, let's not be a Joshua 24, 15 type of people. You know, Joshua 24, 15, it says, as for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. It's a great slogan on your wall, but if we don't live by it, take the slogan down because it doesn't matter. It doesn't. We have to be a people who, who will, will, will in our house serve the Lord in, all how, in our house, will pray to the Lord in our house, will worship the Lord. That's the type of people that we need to be, not just in word, but in our actions. Amen? The last thing I want us to see this morning in Judges 6, 7 through 10. This is when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian. They cried out to the Lord because of Midian. So the Lord finally got their attention. The Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. The fourth thing I want us to see is Israelites' renewed answer. It was the renewed answer. God says, I, I hear your cry. I hear your oppression, oppression. I see it. And what does the unknown prophet say? He reminds them of what God has done for them. Let me tell you, did he share something new with them? Did he share something, a new revelation for them? He reminded them what God has done for them and their past which God has done for their past, God will also do for their future. Amen? There was a renewed answer. You know what renewed also means? It means to repeat an action or a statement. What God was repeating was his actions. He said, do you remember in verse 9, he says, I rescued you. Uh, actually, in verse 8, he says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. So he reminds them, hey, I, I delivered you from slavery. Then he goes on in verse nine, he says, I rescued you from the Egyptians. And then he goes further and he says, from all who oppressed you, I rescued you from the Egyptians and every single oppressor that you've ever had, I've rescued you from there. And then he tells them that he drove out the enemies and he gave them their, their land, the enemy's land. And he tells them in verse 10, I love this. He says, I told you, what does that mean? I, I, you said it to your kids before. I know you said it with your kids. I said it to my kids. I told you, right? As soon as you start the, the words, I, when my wife says, I told you, I know Dennis is going to get, he's going to get in some trouble. But I told you, he says, I told you. What does that mean? He's told them before. I reminded you of this before. I told you about this before. He says, I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. He's already told them. He's already explained this to them. But you know what they chose? It says in verse 10, but you have not listened to me. They chose to not listen to God. They chose not to change. They chose to keep doing the same thing for year in and year out for seven long years. God gave them the same answer as he always had. He never left them. He never forsake them. He was right there for seven years. They chose to do something else. They chose to live another life. They chose to go on their own. And they left him by their choices. I'm here to tell you today, 
that we have a choice today. We have a choice for 2020 to be different. 2020 is perfection. I want to strive for 2020 all the time. But I want to strive for 2020 in, in 2020. Amen? I hope you want the same as well. But what are we going to be? What are we going to do in 2020? Are we going to be people who are complacent in their sin and carry over what we've done in 2019 into 2020 and continue living the same exact way in the same exact route? Are we going to be people who are complacent with, with where we're at in life and our relationship with God and not wanting to elevate that relationship? Are we going to be people who will have the same year and live the same life as we always have because we're not willing to change or do something different or step out of our comfort zone or sacrifice a little bit? Are we going to continue in our suffering? Are we going to continue in our in, in, in impoverishment? Are we going to continue in our uh, an invasion of the enemy in our lives? Are we going to continue with our imprisonment? Or are we going to change? Are we going to be elevated in our faith in every aspect of our life, starting today and every day, amen? Not just waiting for 2019 because to say, oh man, 2019 was a difficult year or a bad year or a good year, whatever it may be. You can be complacent in good, you can be complacent in bad. But the whole thing and the whole challenge is not to be complacent in God, amen? Not to be complacent in God. Keep doing the same things. When we are in a relationship, we get complacent. I got married my wife. I gained 100 pounds, I think, or probably more. But we get complacent, right? We stop trying. We stop doing the things that, that, that we had in the beginning of our relationship. And that same way happens in our physical relationship. It happens in our spiritual relationship. We stop reading our word. We stop praying. We stop worshiping him. We stop coming to church. We stop tithing. We stop doing these things in our life because we became complacent and we've fallen away, slowly fallen away because complacency does that. Don't be that person. Amen? Stand with me as I close in prayer. My challenge to us is to be elevated in 2020. Where God has us at, I'm excited to see. God's done some marvelous things in 2019. But I'm telling you what, I'm not complacent with what I saw in 2019 because I know he has more for me in 2020. Amen? And I hope you are, are the same. Heavenly Father, I come before you today, Lord Jesus, and I thank you for your word. Thank you for the Israelites that were an, an example of complacency in their sin. I ask you, Lord, to, 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 to bring us a higher desire, Heavenly Father, to, to change, Heavenly Father, not just say enter or, or just say that we've lived 2019 and it was a good year or whatever it may be, that we, we, we move from here, Lord, and we elevate our faith. We elevate uh, you in our lives, Heavenly Father, that we, we make you as a sinner, Lord, and everything else in our lives revolve around you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we celebrate this, this coming year, Lord, as we are with our loved ones this week, Lord Jesus, we would worship you for the things that you've done for us in the past, Lord, 2019 and prior to 2019, Lord. But I also ask that we worship you for the things ahead, Lord, where you're going to take us, where you're going to move us, Lord, how you're going to work in our lives in 2020 and the years beyond, Heavenly Father. I ask you, Lord, that you just, just press yourself upon us this, this morning, Lord, and this, this, this week, Lord, and this year that's ahead of us, Heavenly Father. And we give you praise and glory for what you already have in store for us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church says, 
Amen, amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a happy and safe new year. God bless you.